It's to be recorded. No. <laughs> well, what I wanted to say was, <laughs> it's such a privilege to be here, just to be able to um, share in what you guys are part of. Um, um, obviously, my name is Claire, you know that, and um, my husband and I planted a church in Cape Town eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. And we also started in our lounge with our kids. And um, the only thing I haven't seen Nick do that Shaq used to do is pass the tithe box around. But he'd first give us money and then tell us to put the money in the box. <laughs> but it was like only Shaq, me, and the kids that were part of this church. But anyway, we, we're pioneering something here. So um, I just want to commend you. You um, have no idea how significant what you're, this is, what you're a part of. Um, and we don't know because we can't see it now. But God stands at the beginning and he stands at the end. And he's purposed this church plant to make a difference. And um, he's planted you as a tree in your neighborhood for a reason. And the picture I had was um, this huge tree and then a whole lot of little trees underneath it and especially um, Nick I see you as this big tree and these young trees like you all around you and um, I'm very aware that mostly ladies are here today but I do believe that God is bringing young men that will stand around you um, young men that you're going to father that you're going to disciple and as a church a younger generation and um, it's quite cool that we've all got kids here so um that helps with the message that I'm going to share. Um, they've even got kids here. That's Granny and Grandpa over there. Also have kids here. A, a kid. Um, but I'd just like to share a little bit on the back of what Nick was saying. Um, you know, Mark Hanschitz, he um, operates in the prophetic. And so he's what we see as one of the Ephesians 4 giftings, which is a blessing to the church. And he's not well. And um, that's not a, a good thing. But then we want to look behind those guys and see who's coming up next. And he's done an amazing job raising up people around him. We're living in, in, in the end times. And I know Jesus said it, but he said it because um, if you understand the Jewish timeline, the last section of God's timeline is post the Messiah. So we're living in the last section of God's timeline. So we live in the end times and we live in the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied and promised. How exciting. Um, Moses could only have dreamed that every Israelite would walk with the very presence of God. Like only prophesied those things. It was just for the one or two that got to, by God's grace, be anointed for a task and the Holy Spirit was upon them. And we see that with the judges as well. And so it's an amazing privilege to exist in this timeline of Christianity, well, in this time, this section of God's timeline. And so what I, what I want to say for the church in general is that we're not in a Jericho season, I don't feel, where we are going in to settle down. No, we're in a Nehemiah season where we are called to build. And this is a typical picture of building. It's hard work. <laughs> It's hard work. We co we're going to contend for a building. We're going to contend for a wall. We're going to contend for the lost. We're going to contend for our neighbors. We're contending. It's hard work. So just a few points from Nehemiah, um, and this is not my message. It's just something prophetic I felt for you to stick in your back pocket 
is, um, I'm not going to read Nehemiah, you can read Nehemiah and see for yourself, but there's a part where, it's, where uh, Nehemiah has moved and he says, so let us rise up and build. He's busy motivating the people. And then it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah knew that the task that was ahead of them was beyond their ability. And um, to endure, they had to understand that this was a season for working. So it's not a season for um, resting. Uh, this is a time for prophecy into the future, not a time for longing for the past. This is a time of unity, restoration of the Lord's Jerusalem. This is contending for what God is doing, not what he's done in the past. And that requires unity. And unity, unity is a tricky one because it means we can't just have each other's back. We need to have each other's heart. We, we need to be able to have an argument and get through it and be stronger afterwards. That would be a strong church that has unity. And don't we know that God commands such a blessing when there's unity? It's almost this effortless push of the current when there's a unity in God's house. Um, it's a time for building up, not a time for breaking down. And it's a time for pioneering, not a time for settling. And so Jeremiah 1 verse 17 says, But you dress yourselves for work, arise and say to them everything that I've commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, because I will, it says, lest I dismay you before them. So that's a command, dress yourself for work. Just felt that for you guys. And uh, on the back of that and the prophetic word that I felt for, for you, Nick, and for you as a church, we have a responsibility to the next generation. And I really feel it on my heart that our next leaders are sitting out there at the moment. Um, and we, we often look around us to ourselves, you know, and our peers for the next leaders. And not saying that we don't do that, but... Uh, that generation will be our age in the blink of an eye or old enough to be leading churches, to be leading life groups. And so I feel like we, there's a responsibility that we need to take cognizance of now, even in this stage. Um, David said to me on Mother's Day, David is my son. Sorry, I've got three children. I've got David, Shekana, and Michaela. That's 14, 13, and 11. And my 14-year-old <laughs> said on my card um, on Mother's Day, Mom, no matter how tall I get, I'll always look up to you. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. <laughs> but it does help you feel, you know, there's a responsibility to set up the next generation for success. God is a God of generations. In Psalm 102 verse 8, he says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people... Yet to be created, we'll praise the Lord. We have a responsibility to the gospel to make sure that it's effectively handed over to the next generation. And so I was very interested when I began to read 1 Samuel. And um, that's where I'm going to take most of my thoughts out of is 1 Samuel 1. And we read there in 1 Samuel about two families. And I'm sure we all know the story about Hannah and Samuel. But I'm going to start with... Eli, he's the first family I want to talk about. Eli was the high priest at the time, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Not names I would recommend. <laughs> Hophni. Hophni, and, <laughs> Hophni and Phinehas. But um, 
Hophni and Phineas didn't know the Lord. And so they got up to their own nonsense. And basically they operated under Eli as the high priest, but without the blessing of the Lord doing their own thing. And um, this was kind of common practice among that generation. Um, because Judges, uh, Judges 17 actually says that um, each one did what was right in their own eyes. So they no longer chased after God and, and did what God asked them to do. And there were all these rules or um, ordinances that God had put in place so that his presence could be with the people. And Hophni and Phinehas couldn't have been bothered. So they were stealing the sacrifices. People would come to sacrifice. And they, some of the portions they weren't allowed to take before they were sacrificed, they could only take afterwards. But they just helped themselves to everything. They helped themselves to the girls at the gate. Um, and so they were in a very bad way. That's Eli, the high priest of the temple at the time, and his two sons. At the same time, there's the story of Hannah. And um, Hannah is married to Elkanah, and Elkanah has two wives, um, Peniah, Penny, and Hannah. And Penny's got lots of children, and Hannah's got none. And she's barren, so that means she's really on her back foot. She actually doesn't even have a future because she doesn't have a child. And Penny kind of rubs it in her face and gets a kick out of it. And it riles Hannah. And then one day, Elkanah goes to the, the temple to sacrifice his sacrifices. And he gives portions to Penny for her and her family. But he gives a double portion to Hannah because he loves her. And anyway, her heart is bereaved. And she goes before the Lord one day on her own in the temple. And Eli happens to be sitting on the seat. And she cries out to the Lord for a son. And she promises that if the Lord gives her a child, that she will give the child back to the Lord. And Eli thinks she's drunk, but then when she explains the story, he says, be blessed. God's going to give you what you asked for. So those were the two families that we're looking at here. And as you know, the Lord hears Hannah, and she has a son, and she weans him. And as soon as he's weaned, she returns to the temple. And it's so amazing. This is what it says in chapter 1, verse 26. And she said, this is Hannah speaking to Eli, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. And then in 28, she says, Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? So of Hannah's son, in chapter 2, verse 26, it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. But then of Eli's sons, it says in chapter 2, verse 12, The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Whew. Strange, because Eli is a Levite. Hannah is not from the Levite's uh, tribe. So um, it also says in chapter 2, verse 25, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. This is Eli speaking. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And he's talking to his sons. He says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So the word of the Lord then comes to Eli, um, a man of God, and he says, 
declares over Eli in chapter 2 verse 30, I promise that your house and the house of your father will go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So Eli's sons were the fruit of that generation that did not serve God. And so what happens is, in the end, just so that you get the full picture, is that it's declared over Hophni and Phinehas to Eli that they're going to die and they'll die on the same day. And that's exactly what happens through a series of really stupid decisions that take the ark out into battle, thinking as long as we've got it with us, you know, we've got our charm, and then they lose and they, they die. And then Eli dies as well. And um, so it's important to notice how this parenting situation has gone wrong. And I think this is important for the next generation. It's not just parenting, it's also in our shepherding. Because hopefully we'll have other young people around us that we are raising up, that we are building with. And um, so the, the first thing is that Eli honors his sons, and then he honors the Lord. But Hannah honors the Lord with her son. It's very easy to put things before God in a lot of ways. In, in our culture, maybe, you know, it's, it's easy to put tradition, um, and no, especially in the black culture, but it can even be in the white culture, any cultures. You, you can um, favor your culture so much that it dictates to you before the word of God dictates to you. We have a responsibility to pass on what we've received in Christ to the next generation. And he gives us a chance to partner with him in raising this next generation. So how do we raise the next generation? to receive the kingdom. Um, fortunately, we live now post-Jesus, where Jesus is our high priest, going in and out before us. He's opened the way. So we have full access to the presence of God. And that's the anchor that we hold on to, the anchor for our souls that Hebrews 6 speaks of. So what do we receive then when we receive the kingdom through Jesus? And I'm going to pull some things from Samuel's life. Um, so... While the man of God is rebuking Eli, he goes on to speak about Samuel and what God has purposed. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 35. He says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. This was quite a, a curveball because priests were the ones who went in and out. And Samuel's now not from the tribe of the Levites. God brings him in and he changes the order. And um, this is because when we honor the Lord with our children, we will raise a generation that are called and commissioned. And here's the call and the commission in, in one verse. He will, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is on my heart and mind. If we honor our children before the Lord, we stand a chance of raising a generation that's corrupt and conceited. We think we're doing them a favor. Perhaps we're not. So firstly, there's a calling. I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest. Eli's sons receive tradition, but Samuel receives a calling. A calling is urgently inviting someone to complete a task. And in John 15... Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Why? Because you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you. 
We are called by God and God alone. And this is something we need to parent with, that our children are called, that they are appointed, that they're chosen. I mean, let's have a look at how Samuel was called. I mean, actually, you can open your Bibles with me if you like, because you can follow there. 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering in the presence of the Lord. Who knows that your children can be called when they are little? We want to disregard that. 1 Samuel chapter 3, from verse 1. We think, no, you, they're too little to be baptized. They're too little to receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know that John the Baptist received the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb? So we cannot disregard the call because they're young. Secondly, in verse 2, it says, At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. So my second point is the call of the Lord comes in the presence of the Lord. Eli's sons inherit a position in the temple. But Samuel, he receives access to God's presence. Eli's sons didn't know God, but Samuel knew God. He knew his voice. He knew his heart. He knew his mind. We need to teach our babies to hear the Lord. Very difficult when we struggle to hear the Lord ourselves. <laughs> we need to get to know the Lord so that we can show them the voice of the Lord when he's speaking. How amazing is it that Eli does such a messed up job with his sons, but then he raises Samuel to know the Lord. Because Samuel was with Eli in the temple. How did he get it wrong with his own sons and then get it right with, with Samuel? See, Jesus always calls us to him before he calls us for him. Relationship with Jesus is always the first port of call, the first place we go, the first thing we want to foster with our children or with those that we're discipling. The third one is um, that the call requires a response. In verse 9, it, um, God's been calling out to Samuel, and Eli says, Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went down and lay in his place, and that's exactly what happened. The Lord appears to him, came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, 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 and he replied, Speak, Lord. We need to help our kids identify when Jesus is trying to get their attention. We need to help our people. We need to help our church. We need to help our friends identify and recognize when Jesus is trying to get their attention. The call requires a response. The fourth one is uh, from verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, after Samuel said, speak, I'm listening. He says, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. The call of the Lord is for the purpose of the Lord. Eli's sons receive the consequence of their evil desires. Samuel receives the consequence of his obedience, which was God's purposes. God's not committed to our dreams. He gives us, he allows us to dream. And he's designed us with a purpose in mind. But he's committed to fulfilling his purposes, not fulfilling our dreams. Our dreams need to line up with what God is already doing. And um, we need to chase those dreams that, 
and teach our children to chase the dreams that God has purposed. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Understanding purpose means understanding partnership. So we partner with the Lord in His purposes. And in that, I have a purpose. I have a role to play. My kids have a role to play. So the second thing, we've looked at the calling. The second part of that verse, chapter 2, verse 35, he says, I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest. There's the calling. And then the second part is, who shall do according to what is on my heart and mind? So there is a commission that we need to raise our kids with. First comes the call, and then comes the commission. The commission is to co-mission with Christ. Um, these children need to be, or yeah, the next generation need to be raised up knowing the heart and mind of God. And so in that they can have a response to do what is on the heart and mind of God. The commission is knowing and doing. It's, it's prophetic and apostolic. It's understanding what's on God's heart and then being able to be sent doing what is on God's heart. It's knowing his heart and mind and making his heart and mind known. So how do we know the mind of the Lord? 2 Corinthians 2. And this is the crux of the matter. <laughs> I'll pick it up. I, I can't see which verse it is, um, but it's from, from verse 9. What no eyes seen, no ears heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And then further down it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we've not received the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit of God. Because we live in that last section of God's timeline, he's given us the ability to know his heart and mind, which Phineas and Hophni did not know. And that is our, through Jesus being our high priest, we can access that every one of us. So why would we not? Cannot know the heart and mind of God without the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, active and present in our lives. Gordon Fee uh, writes about the Holy Spirit, that like, God the Father we know, God the Son we know, but the Holy Spirit, well, he's sort of an oblong blue. And isn't that true? We, we know often as Christians, as we, raise, as we raise our kids, as we were raised, we understand the attributes of God, and we understand what he's like, and we know what Jesus did and what kind of a man he was. But the Holy Spirit is this like miscellaneous <coughs> factor, power, we're not really sure. Actually, we need to know. And I'll tell you why. Because the call comes by the power of Jesus, but the commission comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to live commissioned, we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit, which means we need to understand Him. We need to be able to know Him so that we can co-mission with the Holy Spirit on His mission. And so we should raise our children to do the same. You cannot know the will of God without knowing the mind of God. You cannot know the mind of God without the Spirit of God. So if we want to understand the will of God, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to raise a generation who are not conformed to the pattern of this world, like Romans 12 says, but they're transformed by the renewing of their mind. And I want to tell you how important that is. It obviously depends what is influencing your situation, but an example is that um, my children get to choose whether they are he, she's, or they's. 
and we have gender-neutral bathrooms in our school. Um, and I, I just want to say that I think it's a very difficult decision for a kid to make. <laughs> Yet that is what the world is teaching them, to make those decisions. Don't listen to your parents. You can decide for yourself. But God has a plan and a purpose for each child. He's made them individually. He's made them unique. We cannot keep quiet. We have to teach them to understand and know the word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and then their minds will become like Christ's and not like the world. And if we leave, if we don't allow the voice of Christ to be the loudest, even in our own lives, the voice of the, the world will raise them. I just love the fact that Joel 2.28 says, I will pour out, the title is, Will, he will pour out his spirit, says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is prophesying about the last part of God's timeline. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. God is a God of generations, even the little ones. So prophetic people know the heart and mind of God. And an apostolic people do what is on God's heart and his mind. What is on God's heart? Matthew 28 verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. So what's on God's heart is this great commission. It's the lost, the lost treasures that are still destined to come in. And we can raise our children with that heart to have a heart for other children who come from broken families or um, don't know Jesus. Uh, our best evangelists are our children. <laughs> and they are the ones growing our youth and the youth will be our next leaders and they will be the ones that make an impact in our community. So I want to leave you with that and I'd love to just pray over you for the future of this beautiful church. Yeah, God's lampstand in this community, a tree, and the tree throws out its seeds and its fruits and more trees like it grow. So it's important that what we're forging is purely God and what he has for you as Adventure Church. Is that okay? Please okay. stand. Yeah, let's stand. Yeah, that's a good idea. Thank you, Lord, that um, yeah, we have the privilege to partner with you in the Great Commission, Lord Jesus, to partner with you in your great plan to bring yours to yourself. And Lord, you have a plan for our children and you have a plan for every... Um, spiritual baby that comes into this church lord every spiritual child even every older uh, christian that comes into this church and i just want to pray and speak a blessing over this church and every generation thank you lord that this is a church of generations thank you lord that this church would reach the old and the young that there would be a language that they speak that every age group would listen to and be able to understand and that it would impact and change their lives. 
Thank you for those that you are bringing along their path, Lord, that they would be bold and courageous to say, yes, Lord, I will disciple these. I will make time for them. It's going to cost them time. It might cost them money. It, they might have to argue and fight with them from time to time. It's hard work to disciple, but I thank you, Lord, that you're equipping this church to disciple those that you would have come in, Lord Jesus. And I just thank you, Lord, for that life that is pouring from them, even now, Lord, that it would go to the next generation and the next generation. Thank you for spilling out of your plans and purposes into this neighborhood, into this region, into this country, and to the ends of the world, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And then, Nick, I just felt for you again that, um, I don't know if it's true, but I just feel that you have a teaching gift, and that's even better, because teachers know how to unpack the word uh, so that guys around you and people around you and the people you lead will understand it. And so, Lord, I just ask you to blow wind into that teaching gift, that as he studies your word, that he would have incredible revelation and understanding, Lord. That you'd give him the ability to put it out in a simple, easy-to-understand way that would liberate the people that he leads, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for Shanae's prophetic voice. I, the Lord's given you such an awesome prophetic voice and um, a gift of discernment. As easygoing as you are, you are very discerning. And I just thank you, Lord, that you would heighten her senses, Father, that you would show her the unknown things, Lord Jesus, that you would preempt the things that are about to happen, Lord, through her dreams and the things that she's feeling, Lord. And I thank you that as they tackle those things together, that there would just be a unity of heart. Thank you for these two beautiful gifts that you've put in them for this time and this season, Lord Jesus. And I just thank you for everyone else around them, um, Jenny and Millie, Lord, and those who, and Merle and the kids, and those who um, didn't make it today. Pray that you would strengthen them as a body. You'd pour out your anointing upon them as a body. And above all, I pray for such an incredible deep-seated unity among them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, um, this Proverbs 29, 18, everyone.